Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Longshot, the newest movie from director Jonathan Levine starring uh, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron and I'm happy to be joined by my friend Josh Brown. Josh, what's going on? Good. It feels weird being on the podcast when it's not like some CGI-driven blank check by some auteur that nobody's excited for. Like, this is – it's like, oh, we're doing a nice, like, romantic comedy. Well, it, it, we, 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 you, did, you did come for us, but other than yeah. that, like, it is certainly a departure from what you what we've done. But this is actually the uh, the second time we've talked about a political campaign movie as well. So there's also that. You did The Front Runner. A uh, very different kind of political campaign movie. Yeah, Widows kind of counts. Oh yeah, in, in a way. So yeah, there, there's a, there's a few different through lines, I guess, for the movies that we that we've discussed. But this is a, a, a very distinct kind of political campaign movie, as uh, Longshot is about uh, Charlize Theron's secretary of state uh, named Charlotte Field. Uh, she has uh, recently started an under the radar campaign to run for president, while at the same time promoting a big, uh, ambitious environmental initiative. And she's getting a lot of feedback on what she needs to do to become a viable presidential candidate. And uh, one of those things is that she needs to be funnier. She happens to run into a down on the luck journalist by the name of Fred Farsky, who she actually used to babysit for when they were both younger. Fred is played by Seth Rogen. His his, his alt weekly newspaper in Brooklyn, I guess is a way to put it, gets uh, bought by this massive media mogul played by Andy Serkis, who is a bit of a Rupert Murdoch stand-in. He quits uh, on principle, and since he has nothing better to do, when Charlotte reaches out and says, hey, you're funny, come be a speechwriter, uh, he's, uh, he kind of just has to relent and do it because he has no reason not to. And as they begin to work together, they also form a relationship and she looks like Charlie Theron and he looks like Seth Rogen. So that's the plot of your movie. Josh, uh, you really like this movie. I had a feeling even if you didn't like it, this would be something that would at least be in the vein of something you would find very interesting. But I think you really liked it. So why did this movie work for you? Um, well, see, I'm always kind of in the bag for both, like, Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. Like, I think if you ask me, who are my favorite actors working today? I think they would be the two that, like, my number one and my number two. Wow, okay. And, and I don't know which one would be one or two. Um, you, like, you like comparing him to who is it, Bill Murray or Albert Brooks? I can't remember. Bill Murray. Bill okay. Murray. I think, like, for a certain generation of, like, I think guys our age – like we kind of grew up watching Seth Rogen movies the same way people in the eighties watched Bill Murray movies. You know, he's like the sort of likable schlubby every man that like is sort of our audience surrogate. You know what I mean? Um, and right now we're in that mid point of his career where, you know, he's slowly like maturing. He's not doing the earlier, like, um, almost like frat boy roles that he had, you know, circa knocked up. And, and I think right now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digging this Seth Rogen because he's looks like he's trying to figure stuff out. Um, and for the most part, been successful, even though I will admit, um, I was the only trepidation I had going into this movie is that like Seth Rogen kind of took a break from starring in movies uh, for a while because he was directing. And the last two directorial efforts that he did, I were I was not a fan of. And then the last Jonathan Levine movie, I also wasn't a fan of. But it seems like they both uh, 
found their uh, footing. This what, time did, what did he direct besides This is the End? Did he direct Sausage Party? No. Yeah, Sausage Party. No. Yeah. He, didn't, he didn't direct Sausage Party. He wrote it, though. Oh, okay, okay. I thought he had, like, a co-direct. It was one of those, like, he and Evan Goldberg plus a guy who could do animation. Yeah, but it's actually been a minute, though, since he was, like, he even starred in the, a movie as a lead. Uh, yeah. I mean, the night before he kind of was, but that was, like, he was, like, co-leads with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and he was probably almost more the lead in that movie than him or Anthony Mackie. And then he had the interview, which I guess you could say he was the lead, but it's been yeah. five oh, years. There you go. That was the that was the other uh, Seth Rogen directorial effort that I was not a fan of. Oh, it was, yeah, it, I, yeah, I wasn't a fan of that either. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's a weird movie too that we forget. It almost caused a cyber war between us and North Korea. It like, did. Yes, it's a historically important movie. Also, like for the industry, if you look at what happened to Amy Pascal, the state of Sony Pictures, like it. it it's a crazy movie uh, um, that's historically significant. So I'll give him that. Like, he's always seems to be taking risks. Because I think if you look back to both This Is the End and the interview, they're both, you know, movies that are kind of innovative in what they're trying to do. Yeah, I actually really like This Is the End. But I see yeah. what you're saying, though, and that he's, like, kind of headed in a different direction with some of the roles he is kind of picking, even if uh, I think the Neighbors movies, which I, which I, uh, well, I like Neighbors 1 a lot more than Neighbors 2, but I mean... I'm a defender of Neighbors 2. Okay, I, I, I know, yeah, I know you are. I, I, I just don't think it's as funny as the first one, but I, I... He's and he's in Disaster Artist, which I mean, like it's a it's obviously a different kind of movie, and he's uh, a supporting role in there, which I which I also kind of enjoy. But uh, what what did you think when you saw him going back to this well? And it's like we've seen him kind of play the guy like and knocked up before. That's like mismatched with the attractive woman and whatever. But you obviously really like this woman as an actress. So uh, what about this movie really worked for you, other than just him being a presence that you particularly enjoy? Well. Um... I, I, I liked it as like a nice like throwback to like movies like Dave and American President and and Pretty Woman. Um and I think it's it's like a likable movie in that like, you know, most of the jokes pretty much land and the chemistry between the two is pretty solid. And and I think the movie like the weird thing with the Seth Rogan like persona and the type of movies that he makes, like it, it is weird that, like, you know, it's almost been a decade since Knocked Up, and we're still at a movie where it's being pitched as. It's been more than a decade since Knocked Up. It came out in 2007. Yeah. And it's like, we're still getting a movie where it's pitched as, can you believe Seth Rogen is dating this hot blonde woman? <laughs> um, but it's weird that, like, he can mind that well and also do so without making it creepy. And as a fan of, like, you know, movies about politics and rom-coms i think it's succeeded on both levels there's kind of an old timely charm to it with like i compared uh charlie Theron to like like katherine hepburn because there's a moment in the film when um charlie Theron is high on molly and she must keep her like composure and like that's like something straight out of like a thirties and forties screwball where you would see like Catherine Hepper and Rosalind Russell, like finally cut loose and go zany, hmm. but also be this maintain their statuesque, like dignified, like presence. And it's just like proves that Charlize Theron is incapable of like doing anything wrong. Like she can do anything. 
um, at this point. Yeah, you know, you know, it's funny. You you rattled off three '90s movies just now when you're uh, as reference points: uh, Pretty Woman, American President, and Dave. And you were coming really close to something that I was wondering if you would mention without me first mentioning it because for the I watched Primary Colors for the first time yesterday. Great movie. And Great. I just I, it wasn't even like in relation to this movie. I was just I was flying, I was traveling, and I had I'd had it saved on my Stars app, downloaded to watch offline, basically. And I'm like, I'm on a plane. I'm gonna watch this finally. It's like a three hour plane, two hour and thirty five minute plane ride. It's a two hour and twenty minute movie. I'm finally gonna do it. And I actually think it like goes really well. It's like a double feature with Long Shot because they're like both. And while I, I really enjoy the rom com aspects of Long Shot, uh, they both tell different stories about like the point of time that we were at in American politics, and they have their own like very specific perspectives on it. And Empire yeah. Colors being this Clinton era. Phil. Oh, oh yeah, very directly so. And you know, primary colors comes down on the end at the end on the side of like you really just got to compromise and just to get things done in this in, in this political climate. And I'm like, and I was, and it's weird. Like, I don't even if like we might, be, you and I might be at a little different point politically than the protagonist in that movie. I still like found myself like just as I, I found myself rooting for the the main character who i'm i mean i just drawn a blank on who that main character is that the black guy in primary colors um yeah which uh, is like prefigures like uh the black uh, character the dule hill character on like the west of the late week it's like a very similar character yeah somewhat i guess and kind of like what they stand for even though that guy's more in a oh it's his name is henry burton but i i found myself rooting for henry burton at the end there's this scene with john travolta where they're like he, he's like having to decide if he's gonna like use this damning political information to like get his way and he's like trying to quit the campaign and john travolta doesn't want him to and and, and all of a sudden it cuts to where he's now president and he's like shaking the hands of everyone and i was like rooting for him to like have stuck with the campaign because i felt it would have been like more true to what like a real political uh hack would have done and mm-hmm. I was like, and I, 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 and I don't blame Elaine May who wrote that movie for like coming down on the side of like, I think that movie does come down on the side of like, you need to like really sacrifice just to get things done. Even if you compromise your principles, like you can pretend to think one thing when you really believe another thing and then you're just going to get it done. And I think we now really revolt against that kind of like that, that kind of, th- those kind of politics. And at least, uh, at least people that are our age, you know, like, I mean, there's this right now, there's certainly like a big groundswell of support amongst a certain demographic for someone like Joe Biden. Uh, even if like most of the people that we might talk to and associate with on a daily basis are cheering for like different democratic politicians. And that's where primary colors kind of comes down upon it being a Clinton era movie. It's like, yeah, you know, like he's going to be better than the alternative, you know, like better than the Republican. You're just going to like get this guy in office and he'll, he'll say what he'll say what he needs to say to get there and then he'll do his best. And here I feel like this movie, as much as it is a rom-com at the same time, it's largely about like what we want out of our politicians and what we want her to be. And this movie is ultimately about like her journey to being something that's not a Quentin era politician. And I thought I found that it was really fascinating. That it was able to be both that and a rom-com at the same time. Yeah. And like, they're both like films that sort of are tackling the neoliberal ideal um, of politics where, in, as you said, in primary colors, it ultimately falls on a character accepting, accepting the compromises that they must make in order to achieve power. And I yeah. think it's, it's sort of, almost bleak happy ending like you you you're rooting for the characters but how they got there you feel queasy about um deliberately so and then with this movie now the seth rogan character 
you know, comes to the conclusion that he can't be, like, it's unrealistic to be the firebrand that he is. Whereas, like, the Charlie Theron character learns to stick to, like, you know, her morals and ultimately not compromise them. And it may be almost fantastical in this day. It's a weird film, too, because it's an optimistic political movie while being a film within the Trump era and from told from a liberal point of view, you know, like you wouldn't have necessarily expected the optimism of the film, given the current political state. Well, I actually listened to an interview with Jonathan Levine earlier today, and it's the movie's. I should say the movie's written by uh, Dan Sterling, who I, he was who uh, wrote, he wrote the interview, but he's like worked in TV and stuff. He wrote on uh, wrote on South Park some, wrote on The Grinder, which was a one season show I really liked, which ironically enough was about a lawyer uh, or a guy that played a lawyer on TV who played played by Rob Lowe, who then went to try and be a lawyer in real life with his dad and brother and here bob odenkirk plays a president who played a president on tv and is now trying to move on from the presidency so he can move on to bigger and better things like film but yeah and it's it's harrelson and who's the other person in the movie they say was able to pull off that oh god now i'm forgetting um which i like which is crazy too because like it's uh, george george clooney George Clooney, yeah, yeah, which is weird because like the list goes on, like like um like Will Smith, like like the Agway is just like oh well, only two people are able to do it, and Jennifer Aniston is a questionable one. Like we have like Will Smith, Johnny Depp, like it's a funny it's a funny joke in the film <laughs> that yeah. those are the two that you can just name, <laughs> right? But at the same, but but and it's it's funny that, that's. I appreciated the jokes like that, but what I was getting, the point I was going to make was that they the, he, he this Dan Sterling guy wrote the wrote the movie like while Obama was like we're still relatively early in the Obama presidency. Okay, it's so like, this is technically an Obama. This that makes even more sense. It's, like, it's like a long gestating project that like they were able to they rewrote some like they brought in Liz Hanna. Obviously, no one knew who Liz Hanna was two years ago, so they've obviously done some changes to try and make it more 2019 thing and i mean i don't i guess maybe some of the bob odenkirk character is a little bit a trump parallel but again this is a democratic president who's oddly cavorting with a rupert murdoch figure so i i don't really know how you reconcile a lot of that stuff but they're obviously like trying to mix in some other stuff but it, it was conceived of in the obama era for sure which makes a lot more sense. Now, I didn't know that aspect of the project. I knew, like, Liz Hanna did a rewrite on the movie, and then when you compare this to her other writing credit, The Post, like, there are similarities in where, like, you know, she's getting into the machinations of, like, politics. Like, there's a montage in the film, like, where they're kind of going over Charlie Theron's schedule and the people that she has to network and stuff like that. And then, which is similar to, like, the dilemma in The Post where, like, the Meryl Streep character, you know, has to placate, you know, these Washington insiders that are our friends. While which, which was, like, what I thought was, like, the actually most, like, the most interesting part of The Post. Like, some of it, was, to me, was, like, kind of on the nose and even for by Spielberg standards, and I didn't totally love it. But, like, I, I, I thought she did a good job of specifically that part of The Post. Like, wow, I didn't realize, like, The Washington Post at one point was big enough to, like, consider an ipo which is really weird and then like, how she was like Catherine graham was like that close of friends with all these washington elite people that she's obviously running a newspaper that, that covers those people i i, I do think so I, I think liz hannah is pretty talented and i in, in at least some respects and it's interesting i wonder specifically like what parts of the movie like were her brainchilds or children yeah. i actually read the script to the post before it came out and that was like pre like Josh Singer from Spotlight doing a rewrite on oh, it. Okay. 
and um and like the the main thing that was added was like the vietnam uh prelude uh to it but i always said like in this movie actually kind of clarifies things that like my issues with the post and like sort of like it clarifies what it could have been because i always said like the problem with the post that it's it tries to be all the president's men when like the stakes are just not that high and this and then like when it should probably be more like broadcast news or his girl it should have been a workplace comedy mm-hmm. um and when this film is a workplace comedy and then this is also a movie similar to the post where you have these two you know strange bedfellows with you know different philosophical views on politics having to work together and learn from each other's from their strengths and weaknesses you know right. uh, and so, their yeah. philosophies are different but their political views maybe aren't and that's where like a lot of the push pull comes in where she is like naturally inclined to like make these compromises to uh placate the democratic establishment and he is encouraging her not to and there's like that tension there which i mean is a th- through line on top of just the sexual tension and then, yeah, and then I think also the movie does a, you know, I think it leans t- a little bit more towards, you know, the uncompromising view. But I think for the most part, I think it recognizes the value of both sides in the sense that, you know, yes, um, you do kind of have to compromise. Like, you know, the Seth Rogen character isn't completely wrong in that you do have to stick to your values. But the Charlie Theron character is also in order to like achieve change, you also have to make some compromises. Well, now, and it's the, interesting because we're talking about it being an Obama era movie, and you know the big, the, the biggest legislative accomplishment of the Obama presidency was the ACA, and that was something that like ultimately had to undergo a bit of compromise, and didn't become what they ultimately what they had wanted it to be when they first conceived of it, but they still. You know, they got something done, and here she is trying constantly, like having her dream of what's it, bees trees and something else. Uh, uh, her env- her environmental initiative is bees trees, and I'm forgetting the other thing now. It's a three pronged thing, and bees, bees, bees. Yeah, and I, they, they, she, they keep talking about how you need to take out the trees, the whole movie, and it's like it's like something like that going on where it's like, yeah, you know, like you should be very big and bold in your ideals and, and, but at the same time, like maybe a little bit of compromise at some point, but like not too much, which I guess is a fine message to have. Yeah. And also I think this is where like maybe some of the criticism of the movie is lodged that it feels, it kind of feels almost like fan, fan, like in that Aaron Sorkin West Wing way where it feels a bit uh, fantastical. Like there's, there's just like, you know, you, like at the end of the movie, um, how Charlie Theron gets there. Um, and it, it's one of those things where like, if only politicians were just honest and open, then they would, they wouldn't have to deal with the problems of, uh, you know, like the media attacking them. If they were only this, you know, uh, well, it's certainly a little idealistic in that regard, because, you know, yeah. there's the whole thing where it's like, if, it's really hard for like a woman politician to win in any circumstance, like, you know, like yeah. maybe once they're too, it's going to open themselves up to some other kind of criticism from some faction. If they are too honest as, as, as nice as it would be, if it was just that simple. But one, one criticism I've seen was that they didn't think it, that they, some people wanted the movie to be a little more, more political than it actually was. Like, obviously these are democratic uh, they're, they're, it's a democratic politician that it's about, and uh, but it, it, it's vague neoliberal platitudes. Like you don't yeah, really exactly. get to the heart of what is the environmental initiatives, other than you know we care about the environment. Yeah, uh, but, exactly. some, but some, some people I, I've read, some people like wanted to be more political, and I, I mean, 
and I and Jonathan Levine explicitly said they weren't trying to they didn't want to alienate anyone that big in the audience, and I don't think they really would by this, uh, but it, with with the movie they came up with because like like any conservative person that's going to go see this is going is going to go in assuming that like any journalist character is probably going to be liberal anyway, so they're not going to be too offended by the Seth Rogen character to begin with, and that yeah, that, and there's a big that. moment though, like I remember like seeing with my audience like the one where I think it might have ruffled maybe some feathers is when Seth Rogen and Ice Cube Jr. O'Shea Jackson Jr. um, uh, are having a conversation and spoiler alert uh, O'Shea Jackson Jr. reveals that he's been secretly a Republican and and, and then like Seth Rogen is like oh my god that's you know like acting like it's the most god awful thing in the world it is a little weird how that revelation is used by him to be like you need to learn how to see stuff from other perspectives too. And it's like, yeah, do yeah. I really need to like be that sympathetic to Republicans? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a, it, it, it's a weird moment too, because like it's funny also though, cause he's, a, I thought he gives a good performance. Yeah. Oh, O'Shea Jackson. Like this is like the third time where that dude has been like a scene stealer for me. He's like so a, good in anger goes West. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was in like, if you asked me to name like, five best supporting actors of that year he was definitely on that right. <laughs> for ingrid go to west like i still quote uh, to my friend daniel um because uh, he also has hot takes on batman like batman forever man joel schumacher is my guy <laughs> um but uh but yeah like that scene though it, it's a weird thing where it's like you know in our circles we're like uh they're doing the both sides isms you know and then, but to like most of middle America, it, that might be like, oh shit, like I'm, I'm being shitted on, you know, while I'm watching this movie, you know, and it might explain why the movie is not exactly, cause it's also a post, honestly, we talk about it is a post Obama, post Trump movie. It's really a post Hillary movie. Like if this movie is written towards the tail end of the Obama presidency, that means Hillary Clinton is, you know, running for president. And there are, you know, she's secretary of Charlie Theron is playing a successful secretary of state. You know, there are that parallels to like, you know, Hillary is unescapable at this point. If you're going to do a movie about female politician, uh, there are going to be some echoes of Hillary's candidacy. Yeah, it was. It actually was towards the end of her reign as Secretary of State because uh, Levine said in the interview I sent to, he uh, re- first read the script when he was uh, working on Warm Bodies, which came out in 2013. So, oh, uh, w- well, yeah, no, but it came out in 2013, so he probably read it in 2012. And I think she stepped down as Secretary of State towards the end of the Obama's first term because you know then he had John Kerry as Secretary yeah. of State for the second term. Yeah, she steps down as the right. Uh, she steps down um, at the end of Obama's first term and is but like during that time period that 2013 she's like really popular right but right Gazi thing is slowly becoming um her achilles heel but yeah like that's and like speaking of like levine like his career arc i've been i've been a fan of his work um uh sand snatched i think that was like the only misfire i didn't watch that i've actually have not watched warm bodies i kind of want to get to it because i know it did pretty well and was well financially and was well received it's just one i just have not gotten around to but i mean i i think i like the night before a little more than you it gets a little too trippy for me at the end no i thought i was like the biggest night before fan like um i thought that was like one of the most underrated comedies of the decade i I thought you said earlier you didn't like it um no no no. i loved night before uh, oh, oh, you just meant you didn't like Snatch. Okay. I, yeah, you, that's you, the one I don't like. Okay, I thought you said you didn't like his 
couple of most recent ones. But yeah, I thought Night Before was solid, but I, re- I really, really uh, love both The Wackness and 50-50. So, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm a fan of the guy, and I want him to like... I, and so I was really glad to see him like have a return to form, even if I don't think this... Unfortunately, this movie looks like it's not going to make much money unless it just sticks around in theaters as Avengers drops off of some screens and word of mouth, yada, yada, yada. Um, we didn't yeah. really... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. And like, oh, let me tell you, like, I was such a huge fan of like Night Before and 50-50 that... He was, re- he was a director who was shortlisted for Spider-Man Homecoming, and he did, like, an interview this week saying that he kind of took himself off the shortlist. Like, he was the one I was Isn't reading. that what you say when you just weren't selected, though? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Um, I don't know how much of that is, you know, the case, but he was the one who I was rooting for when they were tr- going through the list of directors. Of the- it was up uh, until they got to John Watts, it was between him, Ted Melfi, who did St. Vincent and Hidden Figures, and uh, Jonathan Francis, uh, who did Horrible Bosses and Game Night. And I was rooting for Levine. And Francis and Daly hadn't make hadn't made Game Night yet. Well, they wrote. They, they ended up writing it though. Uh, yeah, yeah. They ended up getting their like you know their hands on the project anyway. But um, but Levine was the one I was most rooting for uh, because of the how much I loved night before and 50 50. And I think one of the selling points for him was the fact that, you know, the whackness is a coming of age story about someone living in New York. Like and he, I like the trajectory he's had at making these smart idiosyncratic, like studio comedy. Citrus uh, in the whackness is kind of about like a, like a schlubby looking guy though. It's Josh Peck, uh, not looking quite as schlubby as he did when people first like learned who he was with uh, kind of having a relationship with like a very pretty woman played by Olivia Thirlby. And uh, that's something that we haven't quite to her. Cause I was a huge Thirlby fan. <laughs> yeah. When... She, 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 I mean, I, I not, no one really saw the whackness, but between that and Juno, you would have thought like she was going to explode. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it didn't happen. Unfortunately. Uh, you know, I, 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 she was in the Stanford prison experiment, which I really liked, but she's just like playing Billy Crudup's wife for whatever reason. Uh, but yeah, I, like that. It's just, there's a little bit of a through line there and that she's playing the, um, the, 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 the prettier version of the, the prettier half of a couple basically. And I, I didn't really quite ask you yet about this. I mean, you like both these performers. Did you, was that something you were worried about coming into this movie? Like, are you going to buy that? Like she would go for this guy or were you just like kind of there for it once they were both giving good performances? Um, it's one of those things is like at this point, I've seen the Seth Rogen formula work where like they do always do a convincing job of like, well, Rogan's personality winning over. And also the thing is Rogan, as he's aged a bit, he's has slimmed down and, you know, he is a likable presence to begin with. So it's not as much of a stretch as, you know, back in 07 when we didn't know who he was and you had like that famous poster or knocked up that I keep thinking about a lot where the tagline was, uh, what if this man got you pregnant? And it was a picture of like Seth Rogen looking his absolute most schlubbiest, you know? But yeah, I mean, like they, now- they try and make him look pretty schlubby in this movie, though. He's just this ratty looking beard wearing a ridiculous windbreaker. I hope the tattoos are fake. I hope the tattoos are fake. I hope he's not going like the Jonah Hill scum bro like uh, uh, path right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like he is wearing like he, he they it's funny because like, you know, he's taken the Julia. I think this is like one of the more vulnerable Seth Rogen performances because he's taking the Julia Roberts role from Pretty Woman. Like, you know, what appealed to like Charlie Theron about the script is that 
is reverse pretty woman where the female's like in charge and is the powerful dignified one whereas like the male is the uh um the eliza doolittle figure in this case and I find that like uh, Seth Rogen is a little bit more vulnerable than he has been in recent years, and it's it's both um, charming and also plays the great hilarity. Like the scene where he's at like a uh, at like this nice uh, gala, and he's telling himself, "I'm worthy of love. I'm worthy of love." <laughs> it, 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 it's a nice like bit of um, it, it's you know. It's endearing, but also the insecurity is also very funny. As yeah, well. you know, as much as I liked a lot of what this script did, I can't re- I can't really remember a ton of passages in the movie where it's like they're just having this great conversation where I can like totally understand why she's falling in love with him. You know, they have the this one of my big pet peeves in rom coms is when the part where people will fall in love is reduced to a montage, and they don't do that in this movie. They are he's having to talk to her under uh, to learn about her under the pretense of I'm your speechwriter, so I need to know how to write in your voice. So they're having these oh, basically get-to-know-you conversations. What do you like? What's your thing here? It's sort of implied, too. Like, she's not seeing many, like, romantic partners. Yeah, when you, yeah. so it's understood, too. Like, when you are that busy, like, you might need to date someone in your inner circle just out of necessity because uh, mm-hmm. your options are so limited. And we'll talk, we can talk a little bit about the Alexander Skarsgård, Justin Trudeau thing, which is, uh, which is interesting. But I, but like, I mean, I, I was just saying like, I don't think there's like a great conversation in here, which is what I usually want, but they, they don't reduce it to a montage. And like, I just think her performance is that good. You know, like I, I think that it's, I, it's, it's more on her to actually sell that she would be interested in this guy uh, because I don't, there's only so much Seth Rogen's going to be able to do beyond be a charming Seth Rogen, which I mean, yeah, Seth Rogen's funny and girls like funny guys. So there's something to that, but I think it's largely doesn't work unless like you just totally believe that she genuinely likes this guy. And I think she pulls that off without there being like amazing dialogue. And I, and I think that's the key to the movie. You know, you just can't really totally buy a rom-com unless you like totally believe that like that the couple would actually be together. I, I thought a little bit about she's out of your league, which uh, had Jay Barrichel, who's a friend of Seth Rogen's and Alice Eve and I, I I don't always remember conversations I have after movies but like I remember seeing that movie at some point when I was home during college and coming home and my parents being what do you think of the movie and I was like it was stupid she was way out of his league like that was like actually what I told my parents after I saw that movie and like I did not have I, I didn't have a thought like that after this movie like I actually bought that these people would like were into each other which I think is just a testament to the writing somewhat but largely Charlie's because as we've already said like I don't think there's anything she can't do and you know we talked a little bit about her earlier, how she like whether it be, you know, the action stuff she's done the last couple of years, like Monster or these Jason Reitman collaborations. Like you kind of think about how she can do anything. But at the same time, like she hasn't done a romantic comedy. So it's, it's kind of cool that I think you and I would have like before seeing this movie, we've been like, yeah, Charlie's there and she can do anything. But this is actually something she hadn't done before. Yeah. Like you have glimmers of because I think this is a character that would be straight out of, you know, a Reitman uh, Cody collaboration that she does, you know, like that wit is still there but like she's never cast in like romantic comedies like you know you'd be more you know used to her being cast in an action movie given that she's been in a bunch of action franchises as of late you know mm-hmm. uh than her being in a rom-com which is fairly new to her but she's always been funny like that's the thing like i think uh like you know her collaborations with jason Ryman and diablo cody like prove that Right. So that's why, like, you know, it doesn't seem like a stretch. And I think, like, Charlie Theron has said on occasion that, like, she actually 
doesn't go on a lot of dates as people might expect, despite being, you know, a stunning looking woman and a former model. That's probably why she doesn't go on a lot of dates. Like dudes are, yeah, exactly. dudes, are dudes are scared of her. Yeah, exactly. She has a very intimidating demeanor. <laughs> and so, um, and so like, you know, which is, you know, not too different, um, or not too dissimilar from the character that she's playing in this movie, uh, where, uh, Seth is probably the only, you know, guy in her inner circle that, you know, is probably willing to make a move. And also it takes a lot a near death experience to get him to do that anyway. Uh, which is a funny moment in the film. Well, yeah, uh, yeah. given the, uh, interaction they had when he was 13, you understand his, uh, reluctance. Uh, you know, the Seth Rogen's like little, like, you know, the Seth Rogen touch in that flashback story. Cause it's very similar to super bad where you think about the, you know, the Jonah Hill drawing dicks uh, um, as a kid flashback. Like, there's a lot of parallels there. And also there's, like, the period blood scene in Superbad where it's, like, just, like, an embarrassing moment. But, yeah, that that, yeah. that it's more like that because he's this – he is the Seth Rogen uh, stand-in in Superbad, and he had that uh, uh, younger moment for sure. So it's a Seth Rogen touch, but it doesn't – and, and, and even the thing with the uh, – the ultimate, uh, the blackmail, uh, masturbation thing in this movie. Like it doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel as, it doesn't feel as in poor taste as like what some people might expect if they're like here, there's going to be like a masturbation plotline in a Seth Rogen movie, you know? Yeah. Which by the way, as I went home from the theater, I actually thought like, you know, they're all kind of played her cards wrong there with the blackmail because the thing is, is if a Rupert Murdoch character openly admitted to doing that, it would be illegal. Like it'd be straight up like a like like the argument against that is that it's illegal to have someone use your uh, uh, especially a private entity to disclose like you know this private footage of you like it would be a huge you know like Snowden level break uh breach of uh, uh privacy laws if 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 a Rupert figure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he could have leaked it to someone else. I'm not sure, but I, um, I, 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 I did kind of have that thought too. Another thought I had, as far as like, would this really uh, work in real life? Was you know, everyone keeps telling her throughout the movie, like, uh, especially her, uh, her chief of staff, played by uh, was it uh, uh, June Diane Raphael, keeps like saying. By the way, yeah, she's really funny. Uh, and I didn't, I didn't realize until after this that she's um, married to Paul Shear, who is uh, part of the uh, Fox and Friends standing crew that has some uh, f- funny moments in this movie too. But she keeps telling her like, "Yeah, this guy's a schlub," which is nice that the movie's self-aware enough to like know that it, it, it would be kind of like ridiculous for these two to get together, at least on a looks perspective. Like they're not. Whereas a lot of other movies like presume like, "Oh yeah, this guy is just going to be with this hot chick and it's whatever." Like you know, uh, like neighbors. It's just like a given that he's with Rose Byrne or whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> two things though, I did appreciate like because like. In a more rote, like, uh, romantic comedy from, like, maybe, like, 15 years ago, her character would definitely, you would have the moment, villain moment, where she gets fired from the campaign because she won't let these two people be together, and then she tries to sabotage them. And whereas she's disdainful of Seth, and probably for good reason, she's still, like, treated as, like, a, you know— 
yeah, a professional and a funny presence, and that's it. Like, she's not... Well, even though they do have the moment where she's, like, sleeping with the other, the one other member of the campaign staff. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but I was just going to say, she keeps telling Charlize that she should be with, uh, she should be with the Prime Minister of Canada. Like, that's, yeah. that's their natural match. Like, Prime Minister James Stewart, played by Alexander Skarsgård. And I'm like, I get it. They want to do, like, a funny, like, Justin Trudeau thing or whatever. But, like, in theory, like... That's, like, not a thing that would ever happen in real life. Like, they're not going to—it's like the president of the United States is not just going to marry the prime minister of Canada or something okay, like that. Okay, okay, But in our current political context, that wouldn't be the craziest thing to happen in politics right now. That Fair like, enough, fair enough. Like, like who would have guessed that a reality, TV, uh, a reality TV host would become president of the United States and have 10 charges of obstruction of justice leveled against them? Mm-hmm. And probably be a solid favor for re-election, you know. Um, oh, God, don't 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 send us out on a depressing note. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't want to like nitpick too much on just like any kind of uh, political, uh, uh, any unrealistic political moments in the movie because that's. I mean, it's not really the kind of thing you need to dwell on in a movie of this nature, but I do think it gets a lot of things right, which is about politics in this particular moment in time. Even if it is an Obama-era movie, I, th- I still think it, these these things I'm talking about with like the journey her character goes on, I think are somewhat suited to this moment and what we are coming to expect of our politicians. And I think it's a pretty cool thing that the movie uh, does accomplish uh, that at the same time. Did you have it- like the type of movie that certain people especially of our political like stripes uh unless i actually you know who knows maybe your politics is you know uh green party jill stein i don't i, I don't know maybe you're on the gary johnson uh, they, uh i'm not no <laughs> but maybe maybe some of the listeners are too i know uh, i'm not gonna uh no, judge. no judgment i appreciate you all listening um just tell us where aleppo is um <laughs> but but yeah, like it, like maybe this is the type of because like during the West Wing, even though it came out during the tail end of the Clinton era, uh, Clinton era, um, it was mostly a show that was running counter to the Bush years. Like it was mostly on during the Bush years, and it was sort of that like you know relief that like liberal viewers would have going home like after watching news. Like if only we had President Bartlett. Like maybe this is. You know, its idealism of the front runner would be sort of like a nice reprieve for people who are wishing of a time where we would have a female president and not Trump. You know, yeah, definitely a a fun time at the movies that allows you to just not get too caught up in the just the the stresses of today. Even if, like I said, like some of the some of the illusions the illusions to our, our present moment are what worked for me you don't you're not going to get too caught up and depressed thinking about that stuff if you do come if you if you do go see this movie and i i want people to go see this movie because like i said it doesn't look like it's going to do great financially but it, it is one of those i i, I don't know i i, I don't want to like bemoan like the death of like mid-level studio comedies because we had a, got a couple really good ones last year with block like with, 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 with that well that was a big big budget I, I would think but like blockers and game night is what come to mind as far as just 2018 being a good good year for that kind of stuff crazy rich agents was only like a 30 million dollar uh, oh, was okay i didn't realize that it, it feels more than that so good on the part yeah. of them well, I, it was insane because i was listening to like a podcast interview with john chu and he was talking about like the lengths that the production designer and costume designers had to go on such a limited budget. And I've always thought like that film was like Rob of an Oscar nomination for at least a costume design production design did just do yeah. that for on that budget. Dang. Um, yeah. 
Well, no, so yeah, I mean, like, last year's a good moment for those movies, and people want to see them. So, I mean, hopefully people uh, find some others to go to this year, but it would be nice if uh, this would be one of them. So. It's a nice plane movie. Like, this is a nice movie you watch on a plane. Um, and I and I don't mean that derogative, derogatively, uh, because this is, like, my favorite movie of the year so far. Um, but, I mean, the thing about, like, like rom-coms generally, I watch rom-coms on, on, on a plane. They play the best on a plane. And I think you know, this wish fulfillment aspect of the film that we were talking about is just sort of inherent in the rom-com genre. When you think back to, like, the history of it, even, like, going back to, like, the 30s, they would portray these, like, glamorous figures while, and it'd be really successful while the country was going through the Great Depression. You know what I mean? Like, there's always this wish fulfillment aspect to it, and I think that's why they play at the moment that they come out. Sure. All right, man. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Uh, no, it's pretty good. Um, uh, see it. You know, if you want to save like original mid-budget films, then it's important for you to shell out your money for this one because it's very good. Yeah, I repeat myself a lot on that point, but I'm like, I just don't really want to lecture anyone about that quite at this moment when it's like, you know, I I, th- I think you mentioned it before we started recording, but it's like I feel like Avengers is just gonna like eat into everyone that's getting released right now. What's crazy is that, like, I think this might be, it's very possible this might be a year, given Disney's docket and the fact that they now have a monopoly since they own Fox, that the top 10 highest grossing films at the box box office domestic might be all from one company. That's crazy. Because think about their lineup. Captain Marvel, Endgame. uh, Spider-Man, Far From Home, Toy Story 4. Lion King, uh, Frozen 2, Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Aladdin, I mean, who knows, but yeah. it's still coming. So, yeah. But, but even, even when it's like Aladdin is like your a- biggest... Ad Astra. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, and also X-Men Dark Phoenix. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I'm not sure. Did When you saw Endgame... Did you did they play two different trailers for Dark Phoenix? Because that's what they did for me. Yes, but I didn't see them because I'm uh, weird and I like to just walk around the theater during trailers. Not even so much for like spoilers, but just to like stretch my legs, refill my drink, get some steps into my Fitbit. I, don't, I just I just don't like sitting in my seats as much for trailers. But I got back to my seat and uh, our friend Charlie is like, they just played two Dark Phoenix trailers in a row. I was like, that's weird. Yeah, an audience did not care. Like, it, it is crazy, too, for a franchise that has been going on for 19 years, and there's, like, pretty solid entries in that franchise. People and, I mean, are, like, the most recent one was, like, really well-received, too, in Logan. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's kind of separate from, like, what they're doing with this movie and how it's more a little more related to the events of Apocalypse, but still, like, it's weird. Yeah, it's like especially in an era where like you know this superhero crossover thing like is doing really well. Like you know you the X Men, the original superhero ensemble, is now like struggling from making people care. While Endgame is like I today I was driving past the theater, there was a huge ass line on a Tuesday, like and I have to assume that it's related to Endgame. on a Tuesday afternoon. Jesus, yeah. um, well. I don't know. Good, uh, good for Disney. They could really catch. A, they could really use a break. Um, uh, all right, man. Anything you want to plug before we go? Besides Gemini Man. Oh yeah. Which did, did we now have a trailer for Gemini Man? Right. 
So there we go. Yeah. Uh, um, just letterbox JKB sixteen two six. All right. As usual, I'm on Twitter at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I. Same thing on Letterbox. The podcast now has a Twitter, the Rewind Movie Pod, the Rewind Movie Pod. So please follow that. We'll start uh, tweeting out all the links to the podcast. And I don't know if I get enough followers and maybe I'll turn it into one of those funny brand uh, accounts that like has a personality. But we're not not quite at that point yet. So uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Coming up next, I guess we'll have a podcast on detective pikachu i suppose i haven't actually like talked to anyone about that like then we'll have like more stuff coming out at the end of may beginning of june to talk about but like who knows oh yeah john wick's the weekend after that so uh but yeah the detective pikachu i guess before then so everyone stay tuned for that we'll see you next time